You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. Let's jump into God's Word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray for your Holy Spirit and the help and the joy and the peace that we can find through Christ. Right now, lift your church, our minds, our hearts to be upon you, to grow in you, to grow together. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, I I jumped in the newspaper this morning and I read this uh, section in the USA Today. It says, your guide to surviving the holidays, don't just survive this year, thrive. And I I, I opened it up and I started reading it. I haven't read the whole thing. I thought it was very interesting. And they did have a section in here that totally relates to the message. So here's the title of the message today. It's called Finding Rest in the Right Kind of Relationships. Um, we're going to be looking at finding rest in the right kind of relationships. And we're going to be specifically looking at how Mary found rest in her relationship with Elizabeth. But let me back up for a moment with finding rest for a second. How many of you could testify that the right kind of relationship brings rest? Raise your hand. That it's just refreshing to your soul. You meet somebody, you see somebody, and you're like, man, I feel, and I'm so grateful. I feel energized. I feel lifted up. How many would say, though, that the wrong kind of relationship brings stress? How many times during the holiday season do you feel like, oh, my gosh, this person is wearing me out, and I'm related to him? Um, but you know what? You got you to gotta, you gotta do that. You know, I had an uncle who brought so much stress into our family, several of them. And um, you got to minister to them. But there is a place and a space for the believer to go, I have boundaries. And I need in a time of when you're in a challenging season in life, ladies and gentlemen, you need godly people in your life. You need somebody to go to, to refresh you, restore you, renew you, confirm the calling upon your life. And this is exactly what we're going to see in the life of Mary in a critical moment in time when literally if word got out that she was pregnant with child and she's not even married to Joseph, then she could be stoned to death. So what does she do? Where does she go? Who does she turn to? She couldn't even turn to Joseph. Joseph started making plans to divorce her because he thought, she's cheated on me. So who does she go to? She runs to Elizabeth, a family friend. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 40. It says, in those days, Mary arose and she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted, help me out, Elizabeth. Let's say that together. Elizabeth. This is the one that we're going to look at. It's very interesting to me. Luke, the historian, he writes and records about godly women in the gospel of Luke more than anybody else does. He records the ministry of women throughout all the new, uh, throughout his section. And Elizabeth is the one that's going to be highlighted today. Let me tell you about Elizabeth. Elizabeth uh, is a woman of a priestly descent. Uh, she comes from a long line, if you will, like uh, a family in ministry. Um, her name literally means my God is an oath. In other words, when she thinks of God, this was the prophetic. These are the parents that gave her this name, Elizabeth. It would be like God's name is a promise over my life. Her name, Elizabeth, is God is a promise over my life. 
She uh, grew up in a godly family. Her mom and dad loved the Lord. She married a godly man. She did it right. His name was Zechariah. He was a priest. They were in ministry together. And the Bible tells us when Mary finds out that she's pregnant with child, a supernatural event that she hears from the angel Gabriel as well that there's this announcement that not only is she with child, but her relative Elizabeth, who was barren, is also with child. So what would you do? I'd be like, I got to go find Elizabeth. This is amazing. And so she goes, it would have been a couple days journey. She's a young teenage girl and nobody does this a young teenage girl going a few days journey. She's headed south and she's going to wind up at Elizabeth's house. She doesn't go to Joseph because Joseph's not even fully convinced yet. She doesn't go to her mom or dad. She goes to Elizabeth. She arrives at the home. Elizabeth's a godly woman. Uh, Her name means my God is an oath. And in Luke's gospel, it's, all, it's emphasized Elizabeth and Zechariah are a godly couple back in Luke chapter 1, verse 6. And they were a godly couple, and they sought the Lord and worshiped the Lord even in the barrenness. Many of you ladies would know that you've tried to have a child and you weren't able to have a child, or you can look back in a season and time in your life, and it's such a heart-wrenching thing. But they worshiped the Lord in the midst of it. Elizabeth is time-tested and trusted. And so Mary is arriving there, going there. She knows that the angel Gabriel had showed up to Elizabeth, and so she's excited. Let's look at the response of Elizabeth. Uh, Verse 41, it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This baby inside of the womb would have been uh, John the Baptist, a powerful preacher, probably the most powerful preacher that ever lived before the time of Jesus. And so uh, he uh, is uh, in the womb and the baby jumps in the womb. How many of you ladies have been pregnant before and you feel that baby start kicking around? Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is not because uh, Elizabeth was eating jalapenos. (laughs) This is because Jesus showed up. And so... Something's happening, but then more is happening than just John getting excited. God, the Holy Spirit, pours out and fills Elizabeth. I believe this filling of the Holy Spirit was for a purpose, for the prophetic words of blessing over Mary. Look what it says in verse 42. And Elizabeth, she exclaimed, this is loud, she exclaimed very loud, Blessed are you! Among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, that sounds so proper, but it's so powerful. There's a couple things in here that I I love is she's excited, she's ecstatic. The Holy Spirit told her to say that. God filled her and encouraged her and pronounced a blessing. Uh, Those of you that come from a Catholic background, this is a very, very important Bible verse because I want to show you something. The prophetic announcement given by the Holy Spirit to Elizabeth is this about Mary. Blessed are you, help me out, among. It does not say above. It just says among. Mary is an ordinary woman with extraordinary faith. Amen? 
So uh, sometimes in Catholic tradition or other traditions, it's like Mary gets worshipped. Mary never is going to invite people to worship her. Quite the contrary, following this coming next week, she gives all her worship. She breaks out a song of praise, and at the home of Elizabeth, she starts doing worship songs about Jesus. She is not above women. She is not below women. She is among she is an incredible example of faith, and the Bible teaches us that, that we don't have to uh, look to Mary to intercede for us. Jesus is our intercessor. Um, we don't have to look to uh, her for um, any kind of means of securing our redemption and our salvation. Jesus does all that. Blessed are you among women, prophetic word from Elizabeth to Mary, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. She's acknowledging that. Now she's going to explain that. Look at this, verse 43 and 44. And then she says, and why is this granted to me? This is humble statement of Elizabeth. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord? She's acknowledging that Mary is the mother of her Lord. She knows Jesus is the Messiah. And she goes on to say, it should come to me, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the voice of Mary traveled through Elizabeth's ears, the baby inside, John the Baptist, probably he was filled with the Holy Spirit too, and that's what the prophetic scriptures say, that this child was filled with the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist, in incredible ways. Probably right there in that moment, the Holy Spirit filled not only Elizabeth in the prophetic announcement and the prophetic blessing and pronouncement of blessing, but also with John the Baptist, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. That baby was like, Jesus is in the room. Jesus is in the room. And John's message was that people should turn from their sins and trust in Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. So Elizabeth explains everything, what just happened. She's humble. She knows he's the Lord, and the baby is responding too. This also shows that there's life in the womb. Amen? So as a believer, if you're pro-life, this would be a great passage for you to hold on to. Um, so let's look at the affirmation. Elizabeth affirms Mary's faith. This is why I think that Protestant churches ought to pay more attention to Mary. Um, and I think this is the proper response. What happened, what should Mary be looked at and looked up to in so many ways is that she's blessed. Elizabeth says, and blessed is she. And that she is, I think, really cool because it's not just Mary, it's any woman. It could be any person. Blessed is she who believed that would be, there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. God had spoken that over her. And I think this passage could apply to all of us that there's blessing in believing. Amen? Like when you believe, something is powerfully unlocked. Like the Bible tells us that we are loved, that we are, um, God has uh, uh, secured us, appointed us, and blessed us, and he, he's with us. And so she believed, and it was fulfilled. This morning, what I want to do is I want to, uh, on a very practical note, is I want to evaluate the relationship between 
Mary and Elizabeth. And so I've walked through the passage to help explain it, but I want to give some kind of practical application for you as a pastor who cares for you and your relationships, whether you're dating somebody, whether you're married to somebody, whether you're evaluating the friendships that you, could fo- you should focus on or the friendships that you need to distance yourself from. But what I see that's so unique in the life of Mary is that in the midst of a very interesting time period, she chooses to run towards a certain kind of relationship. And in the very same time, she's running to Elizabeth. She's running away from others. And I think there's something powerful for us because all of us are going to have a lot of different relationships uh, over the journey of our Christian life. And some are for a reason, some are for a season, and some are for life. Some of us will have friends for life. I think Mary and Elizabeth had friends, their friends for life. So what are some common characteristics of some really good relationships? What are some, how do we find rest in the right kind of relationship? Um, that's what we're going to look at. Four things that we all need in a relationship. Number one is, is trust. Trust is essential in a relationship. If you don't trust the person, how can you have a relationship with them? I think when you look at the life of Mary and what was going on, she's a young teenage girl who's been given supernatural news that if it gets out the wrong way, she's going to be stoned to death. And she runs to the person she trusts, I think, perhaps the most, because the angel, Gabriel, had already announced that Elizabeth, something special had happened with her. Do you have people in your life that you can trust? Do you run towards relationships of people that are trustworthy. It's hard to, and why is it hard to? I will say this, Psalms 118.8 says it very truthfully. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Why is that? Because people disappoint you. People will break your trust. The Lord never will. The Lord never will. So the Lord's always got to be number one in your trust and your love. You'll be safe and secure with him always. But people will break trust Jesus understood that he needed to earn trust of others. John 10, 37 through 38, Jesus is out doing ministry and people are doubting and can't trust him. And so he says this, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you, you may know and, that, that and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. I think it's a very easy, easy statement to say is that really trust is something that is earned. Jesus understood that. You should understand that, that you earn trust. You don't force trust, demand trust. Uh, when you look at uh, people's life, is you, you have to ask the question, if you're really going to develop that relationship, do I trust them? Are they safe people? So trusting, and trust can be broken so quickly. Look what Proverbs 16, 28 says. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Mary ran to Elizabeth because she trusted her. Easily, Elizabeth, if she didn't understand, if she wasn't in tune with God's purpose and plan, she could have spread strife. It would have, it would have been catastrophic. Who do you have in your life that you can rely on and that you deeply trust? How do you build trust? Matthew 5.37 says this, uh, let what you say simply, uh, let, let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more than this comes from evil. 
You got to let your yes be no, yes be yes, and your no be no. Amen. So be a person of trust and spend time with people that you trust. Trust can be, it takes a, a long time. I'm a parent of three kids. I got two 17 year olds and one 11 year old. And uh, it's pretty often we're having a conversation of, um, hey, you need to tell the truth. You don't need to lie. If you lie, you're going to lose our, help me out, trust. It's that simple. Um, if you do the same thing over and over again, it's hard to trust you. We will always love you, is what we say, but it doesn't mean we're necessarily going to trust you. Trust is earned. Four things we all need in a relationship. Uh, number two would be godly wisdom. I think this is exactly what Mary sought out in Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth would have been significantly older. She was barren without child, meaning that she was probably well up, uh, up there in her age. Uh, Mary is just a young teenage girl. But she looked to her relative Elizabeth as a source of godly wisdom. Let me ask you a question. Do you have people in your life that have godly wisdom? What you do not need, ladies and gentlemen, is worldly wisdom. You need godly wisdom, like people that are soaking up and saturated with the Word of God so that when you do talk to them about some issue, they're quoting Scripture, they're in tune with the Holy Spirit, they care for you, you need people with godly wisdom in your life. This kind of wisdom, James 3.17 says this, but the, wisdom, the, but the wisdom from above is first pure. It's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You need people that have wisdom that comes from above in your life. And this is exactly what Elizabeth had. She had heard from the Lord. God had used the angel Gabriel to encourage her, affirm her. The Holy Spirit came upon her. She pronounced that. She's in totally a godly woman. And Elizabeth knew that's what she needed in life. Do you have godly counsel in your life? Over the years for me as a pastor, I've surrounded myself with other senior pastors that have served for decades. Decades. And two things I look for for people that are in my wise counsel that are pastors, I'll tell you this. Number one is that they have a faithful testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, that they're faithful to their wife for decades. And number three, they stayed faithful to one church for decades. That's godly wisdom. I don't know what your sphere of influence is, what God's called you to, but you need people in your field of study, in your atmosphere, if it's school, if it's um, business, if it's nursing, godly counsel. Do, do not put into your life people that don't have a godly source of wisdom to offer you and simply listen to them. Worldly wisdom is not going to be helpful. Look for people that are godly and can offer wisdom in your area of influence. Amen? That'll be helpful for you. And you need to know that there's really, the Bible talks about three kinds of people all throughout the scripture, and I'm going to help you with them. If you want a book recommendation, um, I want to encourage you. Uh, Henry Cloud is the name of the guy that I'm going to mention for you. Uh, there's a couple of books that he's written. One is called Safe People. Uh, another one is called uh, uh, Necessary Endings. And in his books, he mentions and outlines what I'm about to read you, characteristics between wise people and foolish people. And this is what you need in your life is wise people, not foolish people. 
So here's what the Bible says, and I want to encourage you, you need wise people in your life. Proverbs 12, 15 says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. It's very interesting. Like I've had many parents come up to me and try to help their kids and their kids are, you know, doing their own thing. They're acting a fool and they keep trying to intervene to help them. And I tell them, how long have they been doing this? For years. What are you doing? I'm trying to help them. Fools do not learn oftentimes through coaching and encouragement. You know how fools learn? Hardship, suffering, pain, consequences. Wise people, how do they learn? You can have a conversation with them and say, man, I think you're about to screw up your life. You're doing this or that. And they go, you know what? You're probably right. Thank you so much for talking to me. Foolish people, it doesn't matter how many conversations you have. It doesn't matter. They're not going to listen. Here's the difference between wise people and foolish people. Uh, Wise people will admit their weaknesses. Yep, I'm messed up. I need some help. Foolish people will think that they have it all together. No, I got this. Wise people are open to feedback. Hey, speak into my life. Foolish people are incredibly defensive. Anytime you address them, they deflect. They defend. And truth be known, right? Listen, we can all be wise and foolish, all of us, at any point in time. So please don't think that I'm the wise guy, never been foolish, or you're the wise guy and never foolish. We're all a little bit wise and foolish at times. But we want to tend and trend and be a person, a wise person, a safe person. Uh, We want to spend time with wise people and safe people. Uh, Wise people are humble. Uh, Foolish people are self-righteous. Wise people apologize and repent and change their behavior. Foolish people, on the other hand, will apologize, but they keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. Uh, Wise people will earn trust. They will say, if you want to believe me, just watch me, trust me, but I'm not going to make you trust me and demand it. I understand I have to earn it. Um, Foolish people, on the other hand, will demand trust. You should trust me. They will demand it. Uh, Wise people will admit their faults. Foolish people will blame others. Wise people will allow people to say no and respect it. They will respect a boundary. On the other hand, foolish people, they can't set boundaries for themselves and they can't respect the boundaries of others. Wise people are consistent over time. Uh, Foolish people are unstable over time and more unreliable. Wise people are interdependent. They depend on other people. And foolish people are self-sufficient. Which kind of person are you choosing to spend a lot more time with in your life? Um, The Bible says that um, a fool will return uh, to his folly like a dog returns to vomit. It's a pretty disturbing picture. A fool will return to folly like a dog returns to its vomit. If you've ever had a dog that's done that, you're like, no, don't eat that. No, no, no. That's the picture the Bible gives us, that the fools just keep doing it. What you need in your journey of the Christian life is a firm commitment that says the closest people in my life are going to be the people that I have trust, and they trust me, that are godly counsel, they're a source of godly wisdom. And this is 
the model that I see that we find in Mary. Thirdly, what you need and I need in great relationships is honesty. I think Elizabeth had the freedom to speak honestly. She spoke openly and honestly. Uh, Mary felt the freedom to speak honestly. She was probably terrified. Her song, which she breaks out in a worship song, we'll see that this next week. It's honest and open communication. You need honesty in your relationships. You need people to say the hard things too. You need somebody who's safe in your life that you can trust and that you can share your struggles with. This is what James 5.16 says about safe people or wise people, that you can therefore confess your sins to one another, that one another is other believers, and pray for one another that you may be, help me out, healed. You can find healing for your struggle and your sin through another person. That person is not an unsafe person. That person is not a foolish person. That person is a wise person who is very safe. And so, like I said, right after service, somebody comes up and confess something in their life, and I said, can I pray for you right now? What wisdom for somebody to come to another godly person that cares about Jesus and cares about doing what's right, and he says, I am sorry, I did this. I should not have done it. That shows maturity. And then I say, can I pray for you? And I pray. And I pray for healing for him. And then I said to him, as he walked out the door, now go make it right. Go make it right with the person that happened with. Go make it right. You need godly counsel in your life. I need godly counsel in my life. You need people that are going to speak openly and honestly about your shortcomings. But they're doing it out of a position of love to help you, not hurt you. Amen? And so... Therefore, you can confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When you spend time with godly people and they offer up godly wisdom, you can share with them your struggles. Uh, you can receive prayer for them and know that they're praying for you. And you can find healing through that. Number four, I think what we find in Mary and Elizabeth in that relationship that's helpful for us all is a common commitment. They have a commitment that they're both going to serve. They both have a supernatural uh, uh, pregnancy. They're both in it together, if you will. And you know and I know that sometimes when you go through life, you form a friendship and it's for a reason. Because something, maybe you worked with that individual or maybe you encountered something really challenging and really difficult or maybe you took the same uh, commitment together with something that happened in your life. Mary and Elizabeth had this common commitment. And this is the kind of common commitment I think that we need at this church. We need people that are going to band together and going to say, I'm going to stand and live for Jesus Christ in our culture, in our day. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to uh, make Sunday a day where I'm going to bring my family to, to worship together, a common commitment, and you're building that trust and building that community that will help strengthen you, a common commitment to serve with one another, a common commitment to give with one another, a common commitment. I think that's what makes Mexico so special to me is we have a common commitment. We're building a house together. And then when we come back from Mexico, can you guess how the relationships are? around here. Hey man, you remember that? That was amazing. 
man, we did that together. Ladies and gentlemen, the best kind of friendships you're ever going to have are friendships where you have that common commitment. You need to find people that have a common commitment to their marriage. Find people with a common commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Find people with a common commitment that care about the church and advancing the kingdom. Find those people because they're the ones that are going to strengthen you the best. That's exactly why I think Mary started running. She knew the angel Gabriel had said, and Elizabeth, your relative who was barren, she's going to receive a child too. And so she runs. The Apostle Paul talked about a common commitment in the church in Philippi. He said this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership is the idea of a common commitment. And I love that. And it's uh, also, he's indicating that uh, the church in Philippi, the congregation is giving financially to support the ministry of life change that the Apostle Paul was leading and pushing through all throughout the Roman Empire. I want to tell you a story of a friend of mine, Arturo. I don't know if he's here today, um, but Arturo is a friend of mine. And maybe you saw the impact email that was sent out during the month of November. But Arturo um, didn't really come to our church a whole lot. His wife did. And um, she loved the church and served in the church. And she would always say, pray for my husband, Arturo. I said, sure, I'll pray for your husband, Arturo. And I said, one day I need to meet him. And she said, well, I don't know. I don't think he really likes the church. And you're a pastor. He probably wouldn't like you. And I said, oh, that's all right. I like the challenge. I said, what does he like to do? And she said, he likes to snowboard. I said, great, we'll go snowboarding. So I invite Arturo and I say, hey man, let's go snowboarding. He's like, what pastor snowboards, <laughs> you know? And so we go snowboarding and we develop a relationship and praying for him. And I found out like, what's your story? I, he wouldn't tell me. And then I said, look, man, I'm going to Mexico and um, man, we're short. We need a translator. Do you think you could come as my personal translator to Mexico? And then when we get down there, anything I say to the, to the Mexican community, you know, uh, would you just translate for me? And he said, sure. I said, you know, we got to go check on a house that we built during COVID. The name of the family is the Corona family. <laughs> and he's like, no way. I'm like, totally. Their name is Corona. They shut the border. We couldn't go. And all we did was send our money down there during COVID and we couldn't go on that trip. And God said, hey, I just want you to know this is cool. Their last name is Corona. So I, we went to the Corona family's house and we ministered and I, I prayed and Arturo was translating and I, I could tell Arturo was getting worked up emotionally. And I'm talking about Jesus and sharing about the grace of God and I'm praying with them. And then... Um, we get back from Mexico and, he, and we built the house together with everybody and then we got back. I said, how was it for you? And he said, Pastor Ryan, 17 years ago, I lost a lot of my family on a road trip to Mexico. I saw the car, I saw everything and I said to myself, I could never, ever believe in a God something like that would happen. And he said, and so for me to go to Mexico and travel down that same road, that was hard. And through this journey, he's 
recommitted his life to Jesus Christ and to follow him. And so then we celebrated through that little letter that you might have received about how God's working in his life. And I want to say that that happens because there's a partnership with our church, with people around to do something commonly together. Let's go make a difference for Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that we would make a common commitment together in giving and in serving. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing in and through our church. Uh, we thank you, Father, for the many more Arturos that are out there that really, Lord, have some hang-ups and some hurts. But then when they get closer and they experience the church and the power of Christ working through the church, things begin to change. And so, Father, we pray right now just for that life change in all of us in a new way to refresh us, renew us. And, Father, for some of us, perhaps finding rest in the relationship is you. Some of us do not have peace with God because we do not know Jesus Christ as Lord. There will be no peace. There will be no rest for our soul until we make it right with you. And so, Father, for those individuals right now in the room, today might be a day of rest. They can place their faith in you, Lord, acknowledge their sin, believe in you to be the forgiver of sin and the Lord of their life, and confess you as Lord. If that's you, would you just pray silently with me for a moment? Lord Jesus, I come. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my foolishness. I believe in you, Jesus Christ, to be the Lord, the forgiveness of my sins, my salvation, my God. I confess you with my mouth, Jesus, and I believe in you in my heart. You're the Lord of my life. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.